Well, from here to there, that's uh, what our goal is today. It's so good to be back and to share uh, a message with you today. I, I don't have any sermons. Uh, sermons are for the chosen frozen. And, uh, but I, I, I haven't said this in a while. If I say to the average person, hey, excuse me, I have a sermon for you. You know what? Most of them are just going to turn off. But if I say to them, I have a message for you, most people who might be normal would say, okay, well, give me the message. Tell me what the message is. So that's why I often say, I have a message for you. I want you to put your hands together and let's welcome our online audience. There are many by the thousands. We're grateful to God for that. Thank you for showing up and for being, uh, being here today. This is part three of the message today. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the power of decision and how we tell our stories. One of the wonderful things that happens to my family, that's I'm the oldest of uh, six. Uh, I have uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, I, had three, I have three sisters and then myself and two brothers. And so there were six kids. We had one bathroom in the house when I was being raised. And uh, at any rate, is any time we get together, and one of the things that uh, Timothy Wayne likes to do, uh, he, he, like most of my family, they tell the same stories over and over again, and we laugh just as hard as if we'd never even heard the story. And Tim, one of the beauty, Tim loves to go over and get in the mix of that. Uh, my brother Lamar, who's in the first service, they drive from uh, West Lake Wells over there or pardon me, East Lake Wells, out mass drive over here every Sunday uh, to come to church. And so they come to the early service, but he had a brain bleed maybe five years ago. And I, you know, casually you're busy with life and they're your brothers and sisters. But when that happened to him and the doctor said he probably will not make it through, if he is, he'll probably be a vegetable. I'm here to tell you that none of that was true. God actually blessed him, has healed him, and rightly has given him in every way great health. And I'm grateful, but I made a commitment. Hey, I'm going to call my brother Lamar every day. So at least five, if not six days a week, I give him a call. How are you doing? Now our phone calls don't last long. Lamar, like I, get, gets up early. Uh, he reads the newspaper through. I ask him, Lamar, what's in the newspaper today? Anything interesting? Yeah, yeah it's this and this and this. Okay, it saves me time in reading the paper. And hey, you have a good day. God bless you. I love you. Love you too. That's it. That lasts three or four minutes. My sisters, on the other hand, I have three of the sisters there. The oldest, which is about 11 months younger than I am, is Priscilla. And then there is Karen, the middle one. And then there's Gina. She is the, the baby sister. And so they talk every morning. Uh, they talk on a conference call. And, and I don't think they're warmed up until they're in it for about 30 minutes. Uh, they're, they're retired. I mean, 30 minutes, they're in it. I'm thinking to myself, I talked to Lamar for three minutes and they, they can take 30 minutes and barely get warmed up and seem to come up with something new. And I, how, how do you do that? And my younger sister, 
which talks real slow. Now, she's lived in Georgia all of her professional life. She and her husband own a Badcock store in Noonan, right outside of Atlanta. But Gina's always talked slow. And she, had, you, she takes yes and makes it three syllables. And she loves to rock. So she's in a stationary chair. You're going to see her rocking. We've always thought something's wrong with her. And we're not certain that it's still not something wrong with her. But, and you tell her that. So, so I, uh, I told my sister, Karen, I was on the phone with her the other day, just, okay, you know, I already called them and I've started calling them. And I said, you know what, Karen, Karen is the caring of the three sisters uh, Priscilla will care when she's prompted. Karen will care. Birthday, she can tell you my birthday, Tim's birthday, Kelly's birthday. She knows all the dates and sends a card or phone call or whatever. And I told her, I said, you know, Karen, I just, I just uh, not feeling well. I just needed to hear your sweet voice. Now she knows that's not me. She realized that I was sick. She said, Bob, my nickname to her is Bob or Bobby. Now, I don't know where she got it. We all have nicknames for all the family. She said, well, Bobby, that means so much to me. I appreciate it. I said, well, I'm, I'm just so glad. My nickname for her is Duck. I can tell you why. But anyway, I said, well, Duck, I appreciate it. As a matter of fact, I'd rather hear you talk than Priscilla. She said, well, isn't that wonderful? She said, thank you so much. And uh, so you know that no longer than I took to hang up that she was calling my older sister saying, I just talked to Bob. And Bob told me that he loved my voice and rather talked to me more than you. You know, well, Priscilla cares for my mother. She's the caregiver for my mother. Priscilla's reply, well, why don't you tell him to call you every morning to find out a report from mama? You know, okay, she, she understood. And so then I called Gina, because Gina, the youngest sister, Gina doesn't put up with anything. She just, she'll tell it like it is. Hopefully that day she's sanctified. She is a good follower of Jesus. She's in a small group and all of that, but she doesn't really give a rip. And so I said, Gina, uh, I call her sleepy. Because as you walk around half asleep all the time, you rock, you know, it's yes. Yes. I said, you know, Gina, I'd just rather hear your voice. I know Priscilla and Karen are right here, but just listen, your voice is so distinct, so unusual. You, you make things into so many syllables and it just does my heart good. She said, Bob, don't you try to pull that stuff on me. I've already heard from Priscilla and Karen. I thought, well, you should have. Y'all talk 30 minutes every morning, you know. She said, you're not going to pull that stuff on me. Now, I shared that illustration in the first service. Already, already among my three sisters, the lines are burning up for what Bob said to the whole church this past Sunday morning. When we gather together, that will be stories that we will tell. And the stories, of course, for most are stories of interest 
And listen, I'll just, just confess. A lot of the stories that we tell don't even have to be the truth. If you feel like it'll agitate the other one, get it. Get your story and go with it. How many know what I'm talking about? Telling those stories. And that is true among our own children, you know, our own children. So it's uh, so many, many stories that we have. Every day your life is telling a story. Every decision, every activity that you have in your life is telling a story. How you behave in a circumstance is telling a story. Some you might say, you know what? In the season of life, and we have season after season, I made the right decision, and I was facing a great challenge, and I made the right decision in that situation. I stayed in the midst of that challenge. I didn't run. I didn't let it get to me. I didn't let my feelings get too hurt. I stayed in it. On the other hand, you might say I made the wrong decision. I should have stayed. I should have seen it through, but I walked away from it. You see, think about the many stories that you already have. I have many. Think about the many decisions that you've already made even today. And think about those that have been positive and maybe those that have not been necessarily too positive. Or maybe some decisions you took a chance. It was a step of faith. And you made the right decision and you look and say, thank God, I didn't know if it'd work or not, but it did work and I'm glad that I did. And then there, was, uh, there are other decisions you made. There was no step of faith at all. I mean, you were too afraid. Even though you might have thought it was God, you thought that's too much that I have to risk. And I, I am not going to make that step or make that decision. And as a realization, you came that and realized that you should have taken that leap of faith. Listen, we are faith people. Everything that we do in our life should reflect an attitude and an action of faith. Somebody say amen. We walk by faith, not by, come on now, not by, not by sight. We walk by faith. When you remind yourself of that, then you begin to pep up the way that you live in your behavior. You might say, well, I have a job. I'm in a situation that I can't stand. I wish I didn't have to show up tomorrow. And you think, I can't take it anymore. Maybe you're in a warped relationship, in a warped relationship that you say, I don't want to invest anymore in this relationship. Maybe it's a dream or a vision that you had. And you said, that vision has run into a dead end. Scrap that. And then there are times that you know exactly what to do. I know this is the way, walkie in it. I know what I ought to do in this situation. I'm going to stay and I am not going to waver. You know, and other times I'm done. I'm walking, I'm through. Now listen carefully. Write this down in your notes. Never make, never make a critical decision in the midst of turmoil. By that, if tempers are flaring, emotions are on edge, and there's turmoil in the air, lack of trust, do not make a critical decision when you're all worked up and ready to walk. Take that to the Lord in prayer, settle down, and then make the decision if it's a critical decision. Why? Because God will give you the wisdom that you need if you lean on him. 
I know that I was called in the ministry when I was uh, about seven years of age. I've told this story. I can take you to the spot out there where that happened in the middle of the pasture and I felt called. I just felt like that God called me. I, I didn't have any education. Nobody set me down and say, now when God called you, Wayne, you're going to hear this voice or this. I just knew this is, this is it. Now I went on from seven or eight and uh, because of my, my, uh, my personality, uh, I moved on into the teenage years. And uh, in, in personality and sometime in lifestyle, uh, maybe I didn't make the right decision. Maybe I got in trouble and I deserved to get in trouble. And the only reason I got in trouble is I got caught. <laughs> How many of you still did things that your mommy and your daddy still don't know about today? May I see your hand? How many are grateful to God they don't know? That's right. Tim, you didn't raise your hand, did you, son? Thank you. Just checking. Smart boy over there. <laughs> but at any rate, I know. But when I was 17, that call, I was a youth pastor at a small church, small, and, uh, and, and the whole sanctuary was not as big as this middle section from here to the break back there. It wasn't that big. And I was a youth pastor of all 10 or 12 or 15 young people. And so when I felt that call, I thought I ought to talk to my pastor. And so it was Sunday afternoon before church. And I said, I, may, may I talk to you? I need to talk with you. And he said, sure, sure. Now the church uh, only had, um, I think, five other rooms in the whole church. And they were little tiny rooms. So we went to there were two back rooms back of the stage area in the church. We went into one and I told him, I said, I feel like uh, I felt called when I was uh, seven or eight years of age and I feel like God is calling me now. I'm, I'm 17, I'm getting ready, I've got to make the decision to, to go and study at Southeastern uh, uh, College and so I, I really uh, need your prayer and, and just wanted to open my heart and reveal my heart. And so he said to me, he said, well, Wayne, listen, that may not be God. Okay. He said, what you want, it may not be what you think that it might be. He said, so I don't, I don't know if that's what you feel or that's what might really be the call of God. You need to, you just need to double think that. And uh, maybe maybe take an opportunity to pray about it. You know, I don't mind telling you, I felt defeated and discouraged. How many of you would feel defeated and discouraged? You open your heart up and then bam, slap, 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 slap. Matter of fact, it took the whole service for me to forgive him. I thought if, if anybody ought to believe in me, it ought to be my pastor. If anyone... <laughs> standing up there preaching that should trust and give me kudos and like I'm calling the ministry it ought to be my pastor but he didn't do that and at that moment I could make a decision because I had other influences in my life I said man ministry you don't want to go in the ministry you got talent and giftings and all that you don't need to go in the ministry you know I thought well it's, I need to run I mean, here's my pastor, but you know what? I didn't. I stayed with it 
I felt as I prayed. I thought, God, no, I know, I know. When I was seven, I know the call. I know now at 17, I know this call is real and I'm not running. I'm going to fulfill the call of God whether my pastor thinks I should or not. And that decision was 50 years ago and I'm able to tell you that story this morning of what happened to me in the story of my life and my call to ministry. Now, it did bother me, so I don't mind telling you, a number of years later, I saw the pastor. Uh, he was certainly many years later at a conference, and I went up to him and I said, you know, you remember the conversation that we had? And uh, he said, about your call to ministry, and he smiled real big. And I said, yeah, it really bothered me that that you didn't, uh, you didn't really encourage me. You didn't really, you didn't really say, man, I'm so glad of you, Wayne. Give me a big old bear hug. God, man, this is going to be great. He said, Wayne, it looks like you've done pretty well. By that time, I was uh, secretary of the Assemblies of God of Florida uh, in the district office full time. You've done pretty well. He said, Wayne, here's what I knew. I knew with your determination and your drive and your personality, he said, if I tried to, if I, I figured if I tried to discourage you and didn't totally embrace you, that you would have to determine whether you needed that to fulfill the call of God. So he said, I didn't encourage you. But he said, I knew that if you prayed and it was real, you would not turn back. You would press in and you would fulfill the call of God in your life. And I'm thankful for the grace of God, grateful that some decisions that we make, hopefully many, cast our footsteps in the right direction. Now, sometimes God brings us into the arena of what might be a major decision of following through, going from here to there, but you don't see it. You don't, that's why it's important for us to listen to the voice of Almighty God and have a relationship with God that God can speak to us on a daily basis. So one of my scriptures that I latched on to, Hebrews 12, 2, here, here it is. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so I know that in the seasons of our life, one after another, there might be smaller seasons. We are told in scripture that God is the author and finisher of our faith. What he's saying there, he has never completed his work in you. Every single day, no matter where you're at, what are you doing? The author and perfecter of your faith is still at work. You say, well, how do I hit rough times and I, I feel like taking my fist and balling it up in the face of God? Let me tell you what you do to keep that from happening. Here it is. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Say that with me. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, not the Enquirer magazine, not Fox News, not CBS, not NBC, not Instagram, not Facebook. Fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and he will perfect your faith and you will fulfill the divine call of God in your life. Come on, get a hand clap. You can do better than that. I wasn't here for the first couple of weeks. I wanted to be. I was sure watching. The first week, of course, we learned you got to start your journey. 
You just got to bring to the realization that you're telling stories every day. And every day your life's developing a story that you're going to be able to tell. And then number two, we had Dr. Hackett last week talked about, hey, determining to stop anything that might be hindering you from doing the will of God, from doing the perfect will of God. And today we're going to talk about that sometimes it's easier to stay and discern the will of God or, or to, to fight it out and discern the will of God when it would be easier for you to just pack up, leave and say, forget it, God. I'm tired of doing all the work here. I'm tired. It could be the Martha syndrome. I'm tired of doing all the cooking and the cleaning and preparing. And Mary's sitting down there and just wetting the feet of Jesus and washing them with her hair. You see, understand next week, we're going to talk about this. When it, you decide to go, when it would be easier to stay. Today, as we understand the circumstance, our life changes constantly. And in this room right now and online, I'm asking you to do this in the balance of this message. Keep your mind open and listen to what God might be speaking to you about. Keep your heart open. Keep your attitude tender and sweet. And we will see and God will speak to you because some of you are teetering on the edge of major challenges some of you are facing something that you have never faced before and it's whipping you emotionally. Some of you know that there are steps that you're going to have to take in the near future and you're afraid, wondering how you're going to manage it. Some of you are looking at financial reverses and you're thinking, wow, what am I going to do? Some of you are so upset over the challenges of our culture. You can't be happy today because you're far too busy looking at what might be or what might happen in the culture in which we live today. You see, here's this, keep my heart open. Whatever you choose to make a decision, let it be a decision when you make a decision in your life story, let it be a decision of faith that brings glory and honor to God. God, I, I know I want to bring glory and honor to you. Let me give you some good news. You might say, I don't have any problem. I'm on cruise control and I'm good. But let me give you the truth. One day you will face, in the near future probably, a life-changing challenge and decision that will rock you to the core. Sharon and I have done a lot of talking and we talked about a situation of someone, and I made this statement. I never would have believed in a hundred years that this person would have taken that path. Nothing, nothing spelled it out before previous behavior. Nothing brought attention to it, but all of a sudden, taking a journey, not listening to wise counsel, not listening to anyone, running and shutting down all communication. And I said to her, I never would have believed it until it's actually happening. And then I said, we're going to pray right now for that individual. May I tell you something? You and I can't figure life out, but we can find the one who figured it out. And his name is Jesus. A good, loud amen. amen. Now, here we go now. Stay with me. In the Old Testament... There's a story of 
a mother-in-law and her two daughters-in-law. And that story is found in the book of Ruth. You got it. The book of Ruth. You see, in the book of Ruth, Naomi, the mother-in-law, and the two daughters-in-law, one, her name was Ruth, and the other, Orpah. Now listen, they lived, Naomi and her husband and the two sons lived in Judea. But a famine hit Judea, and they made a decision to move to Moab. Moab was not a, 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 a God-fearing place, but there was no famine. It was there that the two sons married Ruth and Orpah. But somehow during the famine, Naomi's husband died. Not only that, the girl's husbands, Naomi's two sons, the sons died. And the scripture tells us, and you study carefully, that Naomi without a husband, and they had no assets, and Orpah and Ruth without any assets, they were reduced to less than a slave. They were reduced to beggars. In other words, if they ate, they had to beg for it. If they had any comfort, they had to beg for it. There was no master over them providing shelter and providing food because they worked hard. They became beggars. And so it is, Naomi, of course, understood that. And she said to the daughters-in-law, hey, you, guys, you gals need to go back to Moab. It's easier there, and maybe God will provide a husband for you. And Orpah said, mother-in-law, that is a great suggestion. It was an easy and logical thing to go back because it made sense. Orpah said, that makes sense. And with your blessing, Naomi, I'm going back. I have hope there. I know people there. I do. But Ruth decided to do something different. She's telling her own story. She decided to stay when it would have been much easier for her to pick up and go. Now, when Naomi said that to her, I want to paint this picture of the mindset of Naomi. Naomi, when her husband was alive, her name meant joy. It meant happiness. And so, uh, Naomi, wow, a woman of joy. And, and her attitude and her disposition emanated that joy. But when she lost two sons and she lost her husband, she wanted to change her name to Morrow. Morrow, which meant bitter. Every time she said, call me Mora, do not call me Naomi. Those around her said, no, you're Naomi. You're just going through a rough patch. She said, no, call me Mora, which meant bitter. Bitter, look what God has done to me. Now, Naomi tried to talk Ruth out of staying. And here we go. Ruth 1 verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Now go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. 
You know, on a side note, we often have that, your people be my people, where you go, I will go. We, we often in weddings, they use that, but that wasn't between a bride and a groom. That, that's a story between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And we understand, Ruth said, nope, your people. Now imagine the decision she had to make when her mother-in-law wanted to be called bitter. When her mother-in-law felt like she'd been suckered in. When her mother-in-law had light faith, only by her heritage. And yet Ruth said, no, I want to stay with you. I'm not, I'm not leaving you. Your God will be my God and I'm choosing your God, the one true God. So I'm not taking the easy route. I'm leaving. Well, for Ruth, for Ruth, even though it made sense to go, she said, I am staying. And there was nothing emotionally or materially that Naomi had to support Ruth and her decision. Naomi kept saying, you ought to go. You ought to go. You need to get out of here. I'm no good. No, I'm not going. I'm staying. Little did Ruth know that she was writing her story that we would talk about in the 21st century. That we would tell her story of the testimony. So what would she do? She went to the field of a wealthy man. His name was Boaz. And she gleaned often on the edge of the field. There'd be beggars out there and they would glean. And so Boaz heard the story there of Ruth. And he went to his harvesters and he said, listen, I want you to leave some of the harvest on the edge of the field. That's Ruth who will gather it. I know what she's done with her mother-in-law and, and don't you touch her. Don't you harm her, harvesters. Don't you do anything bad to Ruth. She made the decision to stay. The question was, why would a rich landowner have compassion on a nobody girl? Listen carefully. You do not know what God is up to right now in your life. You don't know what God is up to in your family. Do you think he's forsaken you? No. Do you think he's overlooking you? No. Do you think he's not mindful of you? No. Do you think he's forgotten you? Absolutely not. And I'm saying to you, be careful of letting your mind go to the place where you think God's not aware of what's going on in your life and in your family. Somebody say amen if you believe that to be the truth. Little did Ruth know, little did Naomi know that they had caught the eye. So Ruth asked, I mean, this tells you something about Ruth. I'm not afraid of the wealthy man. I'll just flat out ask him. And she did in Ruth 2, verse 11. Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. And how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you do not even know and you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for whatever you have done and may you be richly rewarded by the Lord. He's giving blessing to Ruth, the God of Israel under whose wings 
you have come to take refuge. In that scripture, Boaz, the wealthy man, cast blessing upon Ruth. Well, an unusual event, you know the story that followed. Eventually, Ruth became the wife of Boaz and her troubles of want and need were over. Ruth, who had no future, made a faithful decision and now she's one of two women that have books of the Bible named after her. And here's something else. If you trace the lineage of Jesus' bloodline, it goes back to Ruth. I could have left. I could have walked. I could have said, woe is me. I could have been after a man. There's probably one available there in Moab. It could have been about me. And no, when I stayed with my mother-in-law, even though my mother-in-law really didn't appreciate it, my mother-in-law turned bitter. My mother-in-law didn't even want to be called Naomi. But in her heart of hearts, in writing the story of her life, she knew deep down inside, even though the encouragement was not there, this is what I'm called to do. Everybody with me? That's what I'm called to do. Many times in life, you and I will come to the crossroads. You know that we have and make decisions, uh, stay the course or walk away to give up on God. Here's another question. What does God want you to want? What does God want you to want? Think about that. What do you mean? What does God want you to want? Well, uh, glad you asked. You and I ought to be able to answer that question. And maybe there's something in your life that's not where it could be or should be. Maybe, there, maybe there's an activity. What does God want it to be? What does God want you to want? Maybe, maybe he wants you to develop your family spiritually a little more. Maybe there ought to be a family time since you're fasting and praying. Maybe there ought to be a family time when you actually take devotions when everybody is there. Well, everybody can't get together. It won't ever get together unless you start. And say, we're going to have a little family devotion. We're going to study the Word of God. Listen carefully, friend. The enemy and the liars of the devil are far more aware of their agenda than most people in the church are aware of God's agenda through the Word of God. Why wouldn't you pray when I brought you to the garden, he said to those disciples. When I needed you most, Peter you went to sleep. If there's ever a time we need to be fully aware of the stories that God wants to write through us, and it is a story of victory, it needs to be now. Maybe it's I need to get more involved in the church. Ask yourself, well, let me ask my question. What am I doing other than just coming and paying my tithe? What am I doing? What talent or gift am I inv Maybe it's your surrender to God instead of chasing your own dream. I don't have time. You make time for what it is you really want to do. Maybe it's to stop living for things that don't matter. Maybe it's to get, the get off the proverbial fence and make a real commitment and service for the Heavenly Father. Here it is again. What is it that God wants you to want and where, a little more, does God want you to stay?
I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. Okay, then I need you to go to Walmart. God, I said I'd go, but I ain't going to Walmart. I'm not going. I was there yesterday, by the way. Where are you? God might be telling you in some area of your life, stay the course. Sometimes we get tired because we look and say, all my stories are failures. I failed here, failed there, and I hung on to God. And I really prayed like pastor said, encouraged us, look what happened. It didn't didn't work out. You had a relationship that you thought, oh, it's sweeter than sugar. And it turned to sour lemons. Or maybe a failure that you were not able to avoid and you say, well, it's a fact. Listen, failure will be a part of your life if you're living your life, period. You can just get used to it. If you expect to dance through life in your polyester and never be touched by failure, the only reason that will not happen is you've decided to get you a rocking chair and sit down and do nothing and let everything come your way and you give nothing out. My friend, very seldom will you be called upon to do much of anything, but that is no life for a born again believer washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. God did not call us to park in the rest area He called us to get up and get out there and get it done. That about took all my energy out. (laughs) Failure will stare you in the face. Oh, but right now many individuals believe, stay with me now, that our nation is headed on a path of failure. I mean, that's what we say all the time. A path toward total and complete devastation. You feel, hey, it's headed toward a path that seems to be anti-God. Did you hear what they said? Anti-God. Headed to an arena where it seems that values are compromised and moral standards are eradicated. I mean, after all, it appears that you can have an abortion on, on babies after the full term. It seems like it. And as a result, many people in our culture today say, they shake their fist in the face of God and said, where were you at? Why didn't you intervene here? Why didn't you do something differently? I prayed, we believed God, we felt this is what God, and it, it did not happen. What's the use of putting your best foot forward? What's the use of living for God or going to church or being engaged in the church? And, and what is it to believing? That's a pipe dream, believing God's going to do great things and he's aware of what I'm going through. All that may be true to you in some of your life in personal issues and you feel that way. But let me say to you, let me acknowledge that failure is a part of life. And that will be one of the stories that you will tell. But listen, failure is not the church's final destiny. Failure is not your final destiny. Failure is not mine. The reason I know 
That is that God has given you the ability of free will. I get to choose a conscience to be able to make decisions, to be able to make choices that may not be the choice or a decision that we often seems logical. But, but, but somehow in the remnant of those choices, when you're up to your eyeballs and alligators and you sense that there is some supernatural thread in there, I'm telling you, our nation looks like, hey, we are headed so the devil's got a free hand. But here's what I know. There is an eerie sound in the atmosphere out there that no matter what you might see, what you might understand in your family, in our nation, there is an eerie sound of somebody warming up on that trumpet. And if you listen carefully, you can hear it begin to get louder and louder. And one day, hallelujah, that eastern sky is going to part and the King of kings and the Lord of lords is going to come in the rapture of God. God's church is getting out of here, friend. Come on now. How about it, balcony? Put your hands together. <coughs> God, why'd you put me here? Why don't you, when you do that, I've, I've said it, I'll, I'll freely admit, God, you took the wrong person. I mean, this person here did, didn't, didn't do doodly squat. Whatever that is. This person was a bastion of strength. But God knows you have to leave those things up to God. What story are you going to tell? Here's the story he says to tell. The blood of the lamb gave us power. But he said, it's high time that your testimony. You see, I want to live a life Filled with anxiousness. How about you? Filled with anxiousness. Sharon and I, when I told her I had the COVID, and um, my eyesight began to go dim, I actually, they believed that I had a blood clot in the cornea of my eye. So that scared me. The other one went dim. I called my professionals, it was over the weekend, and they said, you have COVID, yeah. Go to Tampa General. Nobody is gonna see you with COVID and be able, to, be able to deal with you. If you go to Tampa General, if you think it's another torn and detached retina, go to Tampa General, they will take care of you and they can do surgery if it is. I don't mind telling you, that was a bleak, dark moment. Because I felt like here goes again. Sharon and I sat at our table. So I've got to go to the hospital. Called Tim up. Said, son, I need, need you to take me over to Tampa, Tampa General. He said, dad, you got COVID. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> He said, have you tried Sherry and Lori? <laughs> no. He said, yes, sir. Sherry cried all the way back home when I got out of the vehicle, spent two days and a night in Tampa General. When she saw me walk away, and she pulled off. But at the end of the table, we were talking, and we talked about 
If you don't make it, what am I going to do? I'm going to make it. (laughs) I I ain't not going to make it. (laughs) I'm going to make it. You better saddle up. I went in that hospital, and the key phrase was wait. Wait, I'll be back in a few minutes. That was a lie. (laughs) Two, three, four hours later, all through the night. They checked my eyesight. Finally got to see a doctor. He came in the 3 a.m. in the morning. He said, you're not torn, it's not detached. It looks like you could have had a blood clot. How are your veins in the heart? How are your veins in the neck? I said, as far as I know, I'm good. We're going to do a CAT scan. Now, you know what? Listen, it's all right if they do a CAT scan on you. (laughs) But you want to do one on me? Yeah. Well, it was good. We're going to do an MRI. Now, when they're looking for blood clots in the head they strap your head so you cannot move and begin to slide you in that tunnel We're about through. Hang in there. We're about through. <laughs> My thoughts are like a washing machine that's torn up. <laughs> I got out. They said, You have no blockage in your neck. You have no blockage in your heart. Well, did you find anything in my head? And the nurse said, yeah, a brain. (laughs) You've had no stroke. That's good. Well, thank you, Jesus. I got more than I bargained for. Isn't that the Lord? I got into the COVID wing of the hospital. I got in the COVID wing of the hospital with another guy that had been there five weeks and he was not projected to make it. My view of the window, I was by the window, was the skyline of Tampa General. But in the middle of the night, 4 a.m., a doctor came and said, I am the head of disease control. Okay. She said, you have COVID. And when I got there, I told them I had COVID. (laughs) I said, I've got COVID. And when I got there, the nurse came up and she said, hold your head up. I said, what are you going to do? I'm going to check. I'm going to drive this to back over your ears (laughs) to see if you have COVID. I said, I already told you I have COVID. Yeah, but we like to know for ourselves. 
Do you know that a, 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 a deal this long can disappear? <laughs> Count to 10. I said two, four, six, eight, ten. <laughs> she came back and said, you have COVID. This doctor of disease control, hours later in the middle of the night, said, you have COVID. Yes, ma'am. That's right. She says, I have available the infusion that will help you come through COVID. It's the same thing that the president took. I said, is there any better than what he took? <laughs> she said, well, yes, there is. Since he took the BAM, there's another one that's come out that's supposed to be better. I said, that's the one I want. An hour later, after six tries, here, 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 and my foot, they got the needle in. I know that I am a sanctified individual. I was tested and I passed. But one hour and 10 minutes, they had that infusion in and the Holy Spirit spoke and said, this is what I had in mind for you all along. Don't worry about your eye. It will dissipate. And it did. And it did. Would you stand? I need to land the plane. And somebody say amen. amen. You ought to be sorry for that. <laughs> Sam Walton. How many know who he is? Sam Walton. You ever heard of Walmart? Sam. He started Walmart. I read his books on his life. He went to the military. One of the things that he found out about himself is he was a retailer, a born naturally talented retailer. He went to the military and finished that, saved up some money and came out. In a little rural community in Arkansas, he leased a store and started his first store. It wasn't called Walmart. And after two years, the thing began to explode and grow, and he was doing really well. And he went to the landowner that owned the building and said, I want to renew my lease. And uh, the landowner said, I'm not going to do that. He said, well, how come? Why not? I'm, I'm, my store's doing well. And he said, I'm just not going to do it. What Sam found out later is that man's son wanted to be into retail and it was a perfect opportunity for him not to renew Sam's lease and give, give the place to his son. And so Sam did everything that he could to override that, to get through it, but he closed down. Failure stopped. He, he hit a deep place. He talked to his father-in-law and he said, well, I tried. He talked to his brother. His father-in-law and his brother almost unanimously said, you're not a quitter. 
Let's try another avenue, another checkpoint. Coming into Sam's path was a store that was struggling in another place, and Sam bought it, and then bought another and another in all rural areas. Over and over and over again, the store began to gain strength. In Rogers, Arkansas, I believe in 1962, Sam opened the first Walmart. He looked back and he said, I was extremely tempted to quit. I knew what my natural gifting was, and even today some of the principles of retailing is effective in the stores at Walmart. I went in there yesterday. Sam, today Walmart has 15,000 stores throughout the world called Walmart because one man at a crucial time walked through the valley of the shadow of death but refused to give up. What is the story your life is going to tell? What are your children going to say about your story? What are they going to say when they gather around the table even now before you die? What do y'all remember when? Yeah, we remember. God has gifted all of us with a privilege. May I encourage you as a church that let's stand up and take that privilege by the hand and say we shall live a life that brings glory and honor to Almighty God. Would you put your hands together and let's just thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father God, I thank you because I know that you're alive and well, and I know that you are in this place. I'm asking you now to speak to hearts. I'm going to ask all of you here in the room and those of you online to repeat this prayer. Would you do that? Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I have failed. I've made mistakes. Some I did on purpose. Some I wasn't aware of. But I'm leaning on you because today I'm asking you to forgive me. I want to tell the story that you have given to me. I want to partner with you, Holy Spirit, and you be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. One more time. Give it up. Would you do that? Amen. Amen. So, hopefully, you have allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. I want to encourage you. What do I see for 21? Victory. Amen. I see victory in 21. I see great and mighty things in 21. I see the power of God. God's not afraid of anything, and neither should you and I be afraid of anything. Amen. I say get your word of God, get some spitherinkum, and get out there, and let's tell the world that Jesus saves. Amen. I love you, everybody. Thanks for being here. I will see you next Sunday. God bless.